I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. When I was 16, a careers advisor came to my school. She made me do various tests and then told me to avoid any job that involved words. I would be better off, she said, doing something technical However, if I fancied a bookish career, then I might be able to make it as a librarian. This didn't appeal to me, all the less so as my dad was a librarian, and so, with a 16-year-old's contempt, I dismissed her, her pathetic tests, and her even more pathetic recommendations. What a shower, I thought. Alain de Botton has recently had a similar experience and reached a similar conclusion. When researching his new book, The Pleasures and Sorrows of Work, the populist philosopher took himself off to be assessed by a career counsellor who told him that he would be okay at most middle-ranking managerial jobs and then suggested medical diagnostics or leisure. De Botton thought the whole thing pretty pathetic too. Indeed, he was not only dismissive of this advice and advisor, whose office apparently smelt of cabbage, but has condemned that entire industry on the strengths of it. He argues that given that we spend most of our lives working, it's extraordinary so little effort goes into making sure that round pegs are in round holes. Now that I'm no longer 16, I feel much more philosophical about it than this philosopher. It isn't the fault of counsellors that the advice is almost always miles off the mark. It's because the whole area of career advice is hopeless. Even the best tests in the world would not help us as there is no formula for matching round pegs to round holes. Finding the right job is as subjective as finding the right spouse. Whether or not our job suits us depends not on our aptitudes. Most people with a reasonable education are capable of doing most white-collar jobs. But more on whether or not we fit in, which is something we can't know until we try. Not only is career advice hopeless at telling us what is the right career, but it can't even tell us what's the wrong one. My counsellor urged me to avoid words on the perfectly sensible grounds that my reading speed was painfully slow, my spelling terrible, and I confused there and there. However, not being obviously good at something doesn't mean that you shouldn't make a career of it. You just need to want to succeed at it enough. De Botton claims that in the absence of better advice, most adults end up stuck in jobs chosen by their 16-year-old selves. This is nonsense. Most people who don't like their jobs don't stick in them for a lifetime, they try something else. The process is like dating. You go out with someone, and if it doesn't work, you dump them and move on. In any case, I think 16-year-olds can be quite good judges of what will suit them. From time to time, I go to career evenings at my children's schools and talk to teenagers about journalism. The first time I did this, I was horrified at how gormless the pupils seemed. I asked them why they wanted to be journalists, and they shrugged and said they liked the idea of it. But then I realised that as they have no notion of what working life is like, 
They base their choices on looking at people they know who do that particular job and seeing if they can imagine themselves being that person. This strikes me as the best test there is. Why I eventually opted for journalism wasn't because I wanted to write, but because friends of mine were journalists and I wanted to be just like them. Modern 16-year-olds seem far wiser about their careers than most of my school friends. We were too busy rebelling to think straight. My husband, the son of a Tory MP, spent his late teens and early 20s wanting to be a Marxist revolutionary. My first stumbling career move was into banking, equally shocking in the eyes of my left-wing parents and an equally bad choice for me. Could this be why de Botton wanted to be a philosopher? His father is a wildly wealthy Swiss financier. The only philosopher among my friends is the son of a shipping tycoon, and I wonder if there's a pattern here. If your father has devoted his life to adding to his stock of wealth, surely the most rebellious thing one can do is not only to find money meaningless, but also to make a career of finding meaning in meaning itself. Last week's column remarked on how few pop songs there were about office life. This prompted a heroic search by FT readers for further examples. Thanks to their efforts, I've been able to put together a white-collar top ten. It goes like this. Number one, Day Sleeper by R.E.M. Two, Frankly Mr. Shankly by The Smiths. Three, The Day Before You Came by ABBA. Four, Working for the Man by Roy Orbison. Number five, Matthew and Son by Cat Stevens. Six, Sick Day by Fountains of Wayne. At number seven, I Need a Holiday by Scouting for Girls. And at eight, Step Into My Office Baby by Belle and Sebastian. At number nine, Manic Monday by The Bangles. And at ten, Money for Nothing by Dire Straits. This last song is a slight cheat, as it's about a nine-to-five worker envying the job of the rock star. That ain't working. That's the way you do it. Get your money for nothing. Get your chicks for free. 